sending postcards to your friends and neighbors, or you could just tell them about the hope you found. Really, we get to decide what's more effective. We did make some good postcards. Carson made some great postcards, so they are nice. But uh, I guarantee you they are not as effective as your testimony to how God has transformed your life. So we're in this series, Heart for the Harvest, this morning. And go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. I'm curious this morning, has anyone ever uh, owned something that was valuable, but you didn't know it was valuable till it was too late? Right? Like, I, as a kid, I owned, I remember going to this, this card store and getting baseball cards. And I opened the pack of cards, and I was really small, and I did not know a single baseball player except Ken Griffey Jr. That was it. That was all I knew. And, um, and I opened up the pack of cards, and inside the pack of cards, they were doing this giveaway of a Mickey Mantle card, and it was this, like, foiled throwback baseball card. And I still don't know anything about baseball cards or what it's worth. And I had this card, and I was like, yeah, this is neat. And the guy across the counter was like, I'll buy that from you. Like, literally, as I'm opening it and he sees it, he's like, I'm, I'll buy that from you. And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. You know, like, I'm, I'm eight. Like, a dollar to me is a million dollars. It's like, I like gum. You know, that's extensive, like an eight-year-old's understanding. And my dad is like, oh, hold up, right? Because my dad saw the value in it, right? And as a young person, I didn't really understand the value of what I had. And I've done that before with things is when I don't really understand the value of what I have, it, it doesn't really matter, right? I kind of leave it. I think of, uh, did any of you guys ever watch Antique Roadshow? I don't even know if that's still on. It's just like real late or like you had the flu, and you were just too lazy to even dig around on the couch and find the remote. So you turned it on and Channel 9 Antique Roadshow is Betsy and her, her set of rhinoceros horn serving dishes that she got in an estate sale with Helen. And they've had them in their house since they moved from, you know, the Bay Area. And now they're here. And they have these things and the guy looks at them and he says, like, yeah, these are worth, you know, $55,000. She's like, What? Like all the bingo I could play, right? There's, there's these things of all this value that sits there. Or you see these people who have like just become collectors and they have this value. And then all of a sudden this thing that looks like sometimes garbage, it is given incredible value. And I feel like the care that they take it from like the table now that it has value like back home, you they double wrap it. They triple wrap it in bubble wrap. Like they bring this thing like, yeah, I'll just bring this thing and put it on the put it on the table, no problem. But when they find out it's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, they just like carefully, like a little infant, lift this thing up. And I, I find that fascinating that we can sometimes miss how important something is if we don't understand why it's important, what it was, what it's meant to be. And so we'll have this thing of beauty, of immense worth, and it'll just sit in a closet, right? To have something, I, I think of, Katie and I were joking, like, uh, Katie's family had this lamp, and it was very valuable, but it was just sitting in a garage, and it got tarnished, and it got covered in, in different things. And, and eventually, her dad took it out, and he shined it, and he cleaned it all up, and it was this really like classic expensive brass lamp thing, I don't know. And it was had this value, but the value was sitting in a closet because no one recognized the value. Now no one would dream of putting it away in the garage because they knew how valuable it was. 
And so this morning, I believe that when we understand the value of what has been given to us, it will better equip us to have a heart for the harvest. This morning, I wore uh, my work boots. I don't normally wear work boots, to, but I, I love to do work on the house. I, I like to work on things. I, if I think if I wasn't a pastor, I would, I'd probably work with my hands. Uh, all through college, I did tiling and, and remodel. That's like my desire. People see me and they think like, you must be techie. Or I'm none of those things. I like to work with my hands. Yesterday, I spent most of it in the mud. And that's like, if I could be anywhere, that's where I'd be. He's in the dirt and gardening. And <laughs> Katie's like, stop bringing more dirt everywhere. But it's too late. We've been married. We've been together for a long time. So you're stuck. But... <laughs> But I thought, you know, I got these boots, and really the boots for me are an investment because I know the work that needs to be done. And in order to do the work that needs to be done, I need good tools and good things. So I made an investment. And because now I'm older, I understand what money is and how little of it we have. I understand what an investment it is to buy a good tool or a good pair of boots or these things. And so I wouldn't put them away in a closet. I wouldn't hide them away. I wouldn't leave them outside. I wouldn't abandon it. I wouldn't neglect it. I want to use it to the best because I have a full understanding of the work that needs to be done, the tools that are required to do it, and the cost that it took to get those things. And for the harvest, I want us to get an understanding of both that we talked last week, the work that needs to be done, right? And I feel like we talk all the time in church about casting vision for the harvest. And I honestly think having vision for the harvest is the easiest part of the harvest. Last week we talked about it's coming up the road. It's happening. Here comes the harvest. Right? We talked about the harvest that is around us. But I think we have the hardest time in taking what was given to us to be used and using it to the fullest advantage. Taking what God has given us for the harvest and using it to its fullest potential. In understanding, respecting, honoring, using what we have. And I believe that a church that understands both who Jesus is, what he has given us, what the Lord has given us, and how to use it will be unstoppable. That we will see change not only when we recognize the harvest, but when we understand how to use it. And I, I really think Jesus illustrates this so perfectly in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. I like Matthew 25. It's, it's really convicting. Uh, this is like right before Jesus' death. And, and so he, it's kind of like the gloves come off in Matthew 25. Right? This is like say everything you need to say right now. This is important. So the kid gloves come off. And it's in a set of parables that describe the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the number one thing that Jesus talks about, the kingdom of God. And it's illustrating to us how we work, how we function in relation to the kingdom of God. And so it's not only important to who he was talking to, but it's important to the church. And that means it's important to you and I because we are the church. It's important to us as servants of God. And so I want to read this morning, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. I know it's a big chunk of scripture, but y'all can handle it, right? Amen. Well, let's pray this morning, and then we'll read that. God, we thank you that we can gather here together, that we can worship you. God, I, I just, I echo the words of that song. God, that your love is for us, that it is good, that it is reckless, that you have gone all in to show your love for your people. And so, God, we just pray, would you just soften our hearts?
Would you open our minds and would you change our lives this morning through your word in your name. Amen. Well, let's read together Matthew 25, starting in verse 14 through 30. Some of you might be called the parable of bags of gold. Some of you the talents. And I'll explain that in a second. But it says again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Somebody say ability. Ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. Somebody say work. Work. And gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received his one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share the master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Here's where it gets a little wild. man who had received one bag of gold came and said, master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master rep replied, Stay with me. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And they and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it gets a little real at the end. But stay with me because we'll get there. Because it turns out the master keeps it real at the end. But I think it's important is that we have this inc incredible parable about the church. And that the master is going away and he entrusts his wealth to his servants. And this is really a prophetic reference to what is going to happen after the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? This is describing, this is Jesus prophesying, right, sharing what is going to happen, right? We see after the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus is that he returns to his disciples and that he gives the great commission and that he then promises them and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up, up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So this is meant to illustrate, right, this, the same parable is, is Jesus sharing what's going to happen. There's a master, Jesus 
who is going to go away on a journey, right? He ascends, and in ascending, he trusts his servants with his wealth, something so special, something so precious. He entrusts with his servants, and then it says, basically, he's going to come back one day. So this is the biblical form that he's following. And so what you and I are meant to to glean, to learn from this uh, parable is what, the servants did or didn't do. And so when he's saying servants, he's really talking about you and I. So servants for us, you and I. And I I really believe that since we are the servants in this parable, when we better understand and better value what God has given us, we will have a better heart for the harvest. And I think it will really embolden us for the harvest that is here when we understand what we've been given. And so there's three things this morning. If you're taking notes, I'm going to walk through three things that we learn from this parable. The very first thing that I believe we learn from this parable is that comparison always hurts the calling. Let's look at the scripture again in verse 15. It says, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to to his ability. Let's break this down for a second because I think understanding what he gave them is important to understanding uh, why it's such a big deal. Um, Some scriptures say bags of gold. Some say talents. The original uh, in NIV was talents. And uh, I was trying to find, okay, why did they make that shift, you know, from the, like, 87 version to now? And really, a lot of it had to do with this idea that the word talent was being specifically applied to ability, Does that make sense? So it was like directly linking. They were saying, oh, it says talent, so it's the same thing as talent. But what it's meant to stand for is a ludicrous amount of money. (laughs) And that a talent was a weight of gold. So, and this is contested, but I I like this kind of stuff, so I'm going to share it with you guys. (laughs) The things that I like, because I have the microphone. Um, (laughs) You can choose not to come back. (laughs) Um, but a talent was a weight of gold, and they estimate it was between 75 and 110 pounds of gold. That was a talent of gold. Uh, and so if we take that number somewhere in there, they say, you know, with gold being around $38 a gram, my, my numbers are like a year or two old. If someone gave you a talent of gold, they'd be giving you about $1.25 million with inflation all that kind of stuff, right? That's what they'd be giving you, 1.25. All of a sudden, you don't feel so bad for the one-talent guy, right? <laughs> when we think of it as like the widow's might gold coin, we think like, oh, poor servant. Like he's bearing a million and a quarter dollars. Didn't even buy himself new shoes, like just straight into the ground. And so it's contested. Some people say, well, maybe it's really only about $10,000. And some people say, well, actually, if you look at history, it's about 20 years wages. Regardless, the point is that the servants were given something that was greater than they could have ever earned. And that's the point. Isn't the exact dollar amount. In the parable, the point is these servants, even the one who was given one, was given something greater than they could have ever earned earned nothing about who they are said at any point in their life they would ever deserve to get a million and a quarter dollars. They didn't own anything. They had no way of earning this kind of wealth. They are fully receiving the blessing of the master. And I think in some cases they are receiving something that they cannot fully understand the cost of because it is so great. 
And so they are entrusted with a blessing that they could never earn. And I like this phrase. I think it's important. Each according to his ability. That's an interesting word, ability. So we don't know how somebody got their ability in, in the parable. Obviously, Jesus doesn't expand upon this. But ability can be just natural who you are. You might have certain abilities. People have different abilities. Ability might be something you worked for and you learned and you earned and you fought for and, and you grew in and now you have this ability. But each according to his ability was given. And, and the thinking, and I, I want to get our head around this, is that if we are called to the harvest and, and the master looks at the harvest field, what he's saying to his servants is, I'm going to give you what you need to work the field according to your ability. See, when I, when I used to read this when I was younger, I didn't think the one-talent guy was the bad one. I thought that was, like, the one that he thought the most of. Like, this guy, it's going to take him five million. This guy, he only needs one million to work the field. Like, I just trust him more. He can do more with less because that was kind of my punk personality. But I think when we look at ability, we say that God is saying, I'm going to give to you based on I've called you to a harvest. I've put you in a harvest field. You're in your harvest, whatever that is. And now I'm going to entrust to you what you need to work that harvest. You and I are blessed with the wealth of the kingdom. And sometimes we, we press into the ability side uh, when it comes and we think talent. Talent is involved because he uses the word ability. But what he's really talking about here, church, is the Holy Spirit. What he's really talking about here is the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And that we all have different gifts. We all might see the Holy Spirit and be used differently. But that we have all received something that we could never buy and certainly don't deserve. But God has given to us freely all the gifts of the Spirit, the blessing of the fruit of the Spirit. The breakdown in the harvest, I think, occurs, though, and occurs here when we begin to compare what we have been given, though undeserved, with what other people have been given. See, I believe that comparison will kill the calling. I think it's sad how often when we talk about being uh, talent servants is I've, I've rarely heard anyone describe themselves as something other than a one-talent servant. Like, I've never met with somebody and had them think, like, or there's not most of you are sitting here thinking, like, yeah, I'm a five-talent servant. Like, God has, God has really given me the five. Like, most of us in our nature ascribe to ourselves the one and ascribe to other people the five. Because we are incredibly gifted at looking down on what we have and looking up at what other people have. We take the nature of an unnecessary underdog in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that God is saying specifically to us, it's not about what each one has given, but what you have given in relation to the Lord. And so we begin to get jealous over what people have. We begin to get jealous that, that so-and-so is charismatic, you know. Oh, Carson's a charismatic guy. He's the life of the party. He gets free Dutch because he's just so excited all the time, everywhere he goes. I go with Carson. We meet new friends. Uh, you know, every day. It's, it's amazing. And so we begin to get jealous of what, what God's doing to Carson because he made him different and, and unique. And, and we say, oh, well, Carson's a five-talent person, but I'm a one-talent person. You don't know what it's like to be a one-talent. I'm an introvert, so that makes me a one-talent person. Let me tell you, if you're introverted, that doesn't make you one-talent. I think sometimes, I don't know if you've ever looked in your life and stood back and be like, did I miss the day that they were handing out talents? Was I absent? Was I gone? <laughs> Was I homesick? And I think we, we are so good at looking around. And can I tell you that the Lord loves you? 
the Lord cares for you, and he has given you the Holy Spirit. And one talent of the Holy Spirit is greater than anything else you could find in this world. I love Romans 12, uh, thir- 3 through 8. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your face. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. See, we've all been given gifts according to what? Grace. I met so many people that just don't believe that they have what it takes to work the harvest. And when we give messages on the harvest, our natural response is like, yeah, but you don't really know what's going on in my life. And if you knew, you probably wouldn't say that I'm meant for the harvest if you actually knew. But can I tell you that God sees you and knows you and he has given to you the Holy Spirit. There is not a hierarchy, right? It's not like live dead missionaries to the Arab world or five talent people and then pastors are two. And then you're maybe one, but you're kind of sharing it with your neighbor. So you're a half talent. There's there's not a hierarchy in, in that understanding of the Holy Spirit. There's not, a, there's not a division. We are all different and unique. We are all part of the body. And God has given as he sees fit to do the part that you are built to do. I don't think there's any use putting in ranks that God didn't put in. It's God and then us. God's built us all different. And I love that he, we've been given gifts according to grace. That's like my favorite thing. I don't have a pastoral pedigree, so as a pastor, it makes me happy that it doesn't matter what my last name is or how many generations of my family have been doing church. The Holy Spirit gets to use me as he sees fit, not how I see fit. Right? It doesn't matter what, what, what your pedigree is in Christianity or how long you've been here or how long you've got off the exit ramp. When you are on the road with, with the Lord, the Holy Spirit gives us he deems fit. And even a drop of the Holy Spirit is greater than an ocean of what you can find. So instead of neglecting the drop and going thirsty, take that and be filled forever. Amen? I love 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of service to God, but it is the same Lord we are serving. The Holy Spirit displays God's power through each of us as a means of helping the entire church. All of you together are one body of Christ, and each one of you is separate and necessary part. Do you ever read all these verses and step back and think, man, we're kind of still the same people as the people that started the early church? We got the same fears and the same issues. We still don't think very highly of ourselves. And we still think very highly of, you know, other people that we put on pedestals. But God's saying, if you could get a hold and understand what I'm bringing to you. If you could understand what I'm giving to you. And not compare, not contrast. That we would see revival. I think when we have received something that we could not earn, we're not supposed to look at our neighbor with comparison. But look to the cross with love. And just say, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. The second thing this morning is don't hide from the harvest. 
Verse 18 says that the man who had one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid the master's money. So scripture says he he hid the money. He gets, and again, not a gold coin. He gets an amount of money that he likely, you can debate with me after. I will pay attention a little bit. But likely that he could never earn this amount of money. He could never earn. I just walked up to Nick, and I was like, Nick, here's a billion dollars. And Nick's like, thanks, man. And he goes out and he buries it in the ground. You would all be furious at Nick. (laughs) So angry. And I would too. Um, And I go dig it back up, as the parable would say. Um, (laughs) But the point this morning is that he goes and hides it. And really, hiding is not... um, it's not an unusual thing to do. I mean, it was kind of like culturally when invaders would come and you'd be living in a place of fear and not feel secure, you would bury your money so that if they came, that they couldn't steal all your money. So it was understandable when you're working from a place of fear. But I think it's interesting that he runs. Think about this. A servant was blessed to be in a harvest. He was called to a harvest field. You're called to a harvest field. And what happens when he's given the perfect gift, you know what he does? He doesn't go and work the field. He goes and buries it in the field. And some of us are burying the blessing in the middle of what we should be harvesting. We're hiding from the harvest what God has called us. He's called us to the field, but all we're doing is just burying it and hiding it rather than working it. Have you ever hid from the harvest? I think it's hard. I, think, I mean, I think it's easy to be hard on, on the servant in this parable. But can I tell you, I've hid from the harvest. Fear is a very real motivator. <laughs> I think when we look even to the beginning of time, Adam, when he's shamed, he hides from God. Like he was going to hide from the God. There's, there's two people on earth, <laughs> him and Eve, and then he's going to hide. but he hides. That's how our mind thinks. I should be caring for this garden. I should be harvesting. I should be receiving the fruit, but instead I'm going to hide because I'm ashamed or I'm broken, and I don't know if God's going to realize that or he's not going to understand what he's given me. And so we take this and we hide it rather than bringing it out into the light. I think it happens in church all the time. We hide. We hide. What are you hiding this morning? I think sometimes we hide just right out in front of everybody. We just put on like a good face. I'm not saying just break down crying when, for our greeters. Like at least get inside to the inside team. Then you can cry. <laughs> I'm just joking. You can cry in the parking lot. It's fine. That's a city lot. You can cry all you want. Um, <laughs> we'll, just, we'll pray for you. It's cool. We'll send Katie out and Lucy. <laughs> but I believe that sometimes we dress it up like we're doing fine, but we're really broken and we're hurt. We play on Sunday like everything's good, but we hide things in our life in the dark from the Lord and we don't bring them into the light. So then we begin to build a character of hiding things instead of using them for testimony and goodness and harvest. And rather than bringing, even though it's painful and it can hurt, the things in our life, the sin and the shame into the light and repenting and leaving it before the cross and being healed, we begin to make a pattern of hiding. And so what happens is then when God gives us the blessing of the Holy Spirit, what is it now in our nature and in our character that we have built to do? To hide it. 
And so now, rather than bringing these things out and saying, like, I don't care if I'm embarrassed. I don't care if I'm ashamed. I don't care if these things come out because I know that God is good and loving and this is a safe place. This church, we, we are all about bringing things from the darkness to the light. I'm going to be free and I'm going to experience the love of God. And then when he begins to pour his spirit out on me, rather than, than go into the dirt, I've lifted myself up. I've washed myself off. I stand here and even though I've, I've taken some blows and I've taken some hits, I'm not going to go buried in the dirt. I'm going to work this harvest. If you really want to live in a way that works the field, then you cannot be a person who has the character of hiding. Don't hide yourself. Don't hide your sin. Don't hide what you're facing. Don't hide it from people. That's why you got to be in a small group. It's a tough setting, but we got good small groups, man. If you want to be a small group leader, you can come tell me. <laughs> I think sometimes we hide too because we have disappointment or fear of failure. Do you think maybe the servant was motivated by a little bit of fear? Fear of what the master was going to do if he invested and he failed? What's going to happen if you really go for it to tell your friends about Jesus and they say, no, man, you're an idiot? I think we, get, we have that fear. I'm the only person. Have you ever told somebody about Jesus and they're just like, nah, man, nah, nah, I'm good. Like, all right, just me. <laughs> but I believe that God has set this church and set you in a harvest. We talked last week that God has made you a bucket to carry the Holy Spirit, to carry, sorry, the living water back to the dry land. And that's your unique place. That's your unique harvest. And he's put you in a harvest. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you the Holy Spirit to do everything you could need, even though you feel unworthy for that harvest. And he's saying, just don't hide it. You might feel unworthy. You might feel like you don't got it together. You might feel like you're just like kind of making it through one ear of corn at a time. You're not sprinting. You don't have a tractor. You just have one talent. You're going to make it way through. But whatever you do, don't hide it because I've given it to you and it's going to be good. What would happen in your harvest field if you prayed and had no fear? If you shared the love of God and had no fear? If you didn't hide and you had no fear? What would happen in your harvest if you didn't hide? Matthew 25, uh, 24 through 7. I'll read that. It says, the one man who had received one bag of gold came... Oh, man, let's try that again. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Love he tells him that he has this idea, and he says, here's what belongs to you, as if he doesn't know. The third thing this morning, and this is, this is the biggest one, I think this is, if you... If you don't catch anything except for this, this is so important. If you want to have a, a heart for the harvest, if you want to see life change, if you want to see revival, it's this. Third thing this morning, how you see God will determine how you serve God. The third servant has such a broken view. It's hard. Honestly, man, if you read this again with this heart, the heart of Jesus, your heart should break. When you read about this servant, it shouldn't be angry, it shouldn't be indignant, it should be broken. To say that he so misses the mark. When, when the master replies and says, really, these are the things you know about me? It's not an exclamation point, it's a question mark. It's saying, really, like, all that I've given you, 
all that I've done for you, and you see me as a hard master. You see me as someone who would come and, and would hurt, not someone who would come and bless. I gave you a million and a quarter dollars. I gave you something you could never earn. But see, the servant, he misses it because he doesn't understand. He sees the master as a hard man to be served, not a loving father to be loved. I think this is important. I, I don't want you to raise your hand, but has anyone uh, ever seen God as a hard master or been a part of a home or a church or a relationship that portrayed God as heavy-handed, as a hard master? And so your understanding begins to come out, and, and all of a sudden what you see God isn't as God says and as Jesus says here. It's influenced by the people who poured into you but did so with a false impression of who God is. A false impression. See, he was afraid of God. He didn't have a healthy fear of God. Two different, two different things. And often we are afraid of God and afraid to use what he has given us because we just lack the understanding of who he really is to us. 1 John 4, 16 through 18 says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. This right here. In the world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one whose fears is not made perfect in love. See, I believe that a harvest will happen when we begin to understand, truly understand the depth of God's love for us. Because how you understand God determines how you use what he's given you. How you use the, the gift of the blessing of having a relationship with the Holy Spirit, part of the triune God. It, it determines if you're led by fear, you'll miss it. You ever meet somebody who serves the same God as you and you think like, really, we serve the same God? How are you so mean? <laughs> right? Why are you so mean to everybody? Why are you so critical to everyone? Why are you so hard on everyone? That's because sometimes we grow up and are influenced by people who are hard on themselves. And because they're hard on themselves, then they think that God must also be hard on them. Because they do not have grace, God must also not have grace. And they teach that to their kids and to others. And so we are, then we're told, work the harvest. And we're there like with our little harvest tools, deathly afraid of failing God because he will come and beat us if we fail him. And he's saying, that's not who I am. And this morning, I don't know if you have that perspective of God, but I'm going to tell you, he wants to break that free in your mind and in your heart. Is that he is a loving father. He is a good father. And he has come and he's standing there with you at the harvest saying, listen, man, I'm just going to give you more. And I'm going to give you more. And I'm going to pour. And you're like, man, look, I killed half this crop. Like, I suck at farming. And he's like, I don't care. Just get out there, man. I want to see you succeed. I want to see you grow. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. I'm here for the harvest, and I don't want you to inform our understanding or your use of the Holy Spirit, going out and praying people, seeing deliverance, seeing lives change, people uh, coming from the dead based on an understanding that is false because of what somebody has taught you, but something that is true instead because of what Scripture has told you this morning, that God is here for you and he loves you. God is love. Romans 8, 14 through 18. I'm going a little fast because I realize I wrote a really long message. Uh, Romans 8, 14 through 18 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Get this this morning, church. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves 
so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Get that this morning, church. If we are the children, then we are the heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Think about that title. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. See, you and I are not shared to the position of beggars in the kingdom of God. You weren't redeemed to the position of slave in the kingdom of God. You were redeemed. You were brought into the position of sonship. You were adopted in. You were part of the family of God. I think this is hardest, again, I'm kind of hitting on this, but this is hardest for those that are hard on themselves to understand, not by your might, not by your ability. You were brought in and you are now an heir of Christ. You're co look at that, co-heirs with Christ. Get your head around that, that you were brought in, you are children of God. Not by your might. Of course, of course we don't deserve that. That's the Lord. That's his love that's so good. Romans 5, 7 says, at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to tell you this morning that you are made worthy of the love of God because of the love of God. Because of God. He has poured his love out on you. And the foundation of your relationship with God is love. And when we begin to understand the love of God, that's when we begin to feel the pulse for a heart for the harvest. When you begin to encounter the love of God, step, step out of maybe the ways you've seen it hurt or broken and step into you just feel that initial, feel the heart for the harvest, just pulse. You feel your heart begin to beat. Step in to the encounter, to the love of God. Discover more about him. Feel your heart beat. If you want a heart for the harvest, it begins with encountering the love of God. I love that he says that, and the contrast that's developed is that if you're in sonship, if you're in adoption, you don't have to be afraid. I like that. Because can I tell you, church, when we talk about evangelism, we talk about having a heart for the harvest, we're not talking about bringing someone into a stranger's house. We're not talking about, like, showing up like, oh, man, like, like it's some, some club, like, hope we get in. <laughs> we're showing up to our father's house where we are sons and daughters. And so an invitation to someone to say, would you come when you're harvesting your field and you're, and you're in that space and when you're talking to people, an invitation to come and drink the living water, right? That's just an invitation. Hey, would you come sit at me at my father's table and eat what I know will sustain you forever? It's not a stranger's house. How much more are you willing and eager to invite someone into your own home than a stranger's home, right? And so you are given sonship for the purpose of understanding the harvest. But in order to step into that love, or I guess when you step into that love, you got to let go of the fear. you got to say, God, would you remove fear in my life? Fear is what will kill this. Because the love of God is meant to drive out fear. So if you hold on to it while he's driving it out by the back of its collar, making sure it doesn't go out the door, just let it go. It drives out fear. See, we're all prone to fear. It's in our nature. But I love that love destroys fear. Destroys our fear of failure. Destroys our fear of being hurt again. 
destroys our fear of being alone, of being forgotten. It destroys our fear of no one understanding. It destroys our fear of, of stepping out and falling. It destroys our fear. And I'm not going to say everything in the harvest is good, right? We talked about that last week. But I'm going to say that the love of God, when we encounter that, it will radically change our understanding of the harvest. Revival, it doesn't come from motivation or a mission statement, right? Revival comes from a profound encounter with the love of God. And it's when you step in and you come up and you go on your knees and you say, God, I want to experience more of your love. I know that I've, I've known this much to now. But I, there's got to be more because I still have fear. I still have anxiety. I still have things to try to hold me. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to reject that as the lies of the enemy like that song said. And, and I'm going to step into to the love of God. And that God is with you in that. That he's knocking walls down. That he's climbing up things. That he's destroying lies because he wants an encounter with you. I'm going to invite the band to come forward this morning. Would you stand with me? You know, as I was thinking through these three things for this church, I, I, really, I really do believe that comparison hurts the calling. I, I don't see that as much in this church. I, I think it's probably the blessing of being new is we're also kind of figuring it out. <laughs> like we're not even sure what to compare because we're still learning who we are. I, I think the thing beyond hiding from the harvest, I think the thing that gets us is missing it when it comes to the love of God. My natural tendency is to have a very dutiful understanding of working for God, working for him. But it took me a long time to understand loving him. And it is in loving God and in an encounter that you will see revival. That's where you see it. And so this morning, I know that the thing that holds us back from experiencing that love is an encounter or is fear. The thing that holds us back from that encounter with the love of God is fear. Can you turn on that click track? That's annoying me. Thanks, man. Would you guys close your eyes with me this morning as the band begins to play? This morning, I think some of you came in here, and we, last week we talked about Heart for the Harvest. And this morning you came in here, and all right, here's another thing on, on evangelism. But you're still afraid. You still hold fear in your heart. There's things in your life where anxiety and fear has crept in. I just want to say, you know, that's, you're human. Your humanness does not surprise God. I'm human. I'm up here, too. I'm going to be up here at the altar, too. But God is coming in and he's saying, would you allow me through an encounter with my love to break that fear in your life? Some of you this morning, God has called you to a harvest, but you have hidden from that harvest. Maybe fear, disappointment, whatever it is, you have hidden from that harvest. You feel unworthy for it, whatever it is. But he's saying, listen, right now with your eyes closed, he's saying, listen, he's speaking to your heart. I've called you. I've given you what you need. And I am a loving God. 
He's saying, I'm a loving God who you can run to. Just like Lucy runs to me and cries, Dad, and she knows that I will keep her safe. Just like that, you can run to God, that you don't need to be afraid. This morning, he's calling on you to say, if you would step out and step towards a loving encounter, I will encounter you with my love. I will meet you with my love, my love that frees, my love that releases fear, my love that counters any shame, my love that heals, my love that takes every chain that's on us and just turns them into dust. If you would step out this morning and say, God, I need your love. I need more of your love. Fill me up. I want you, want you to hear me say with every eye closed that he wants to encounter you this morning with his